Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of our Minute CE curriculum. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, my name is Nikhil Kushalani. I'm a medical oncologist in the Department of Cutaneous Oncology at the Moffitt Cancer Center, Tampa, Florida. Joining me today is Dr. Mitchell from the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Mitchell, welcome. Thanks for uh, the introduction. I'm Dr. Thara Mitchell from the University of Pennsylvania Abramson Cancer Center. Happy to discuss melanoma today. Thank you. So what we'd like to try and do today is talk a little bit about stage three melanoma. So patients who have already been resected with node positive disease or in transit metastases, clearly at high risk for recurrence, and then certainly emerging data for stage two resected patients as well for stage two B and two C. So Dr. Mitchell, what patient characteristics uh, do you take into account when making shared decisions with your patients when they are referred to you from your surgical colleagues, having undergone uh, treatment uh, from a surgical standpoint for high-risk stage three disease? Anything particular or pointers for our audience? Yeah, so first of all, we try to see all patients with stage 2B or above melanoma in medical oncology. So um, our colleagues in surgical oncology, as well as head and neck uh, oncology and dermatology are aware to refer these patients with high-risk high stage 2B and stage 2C, as well as stage 3 patients, um, both for uh, observation, because we follow these patients with uh, thorough physical and history every six months or more, and also with cross-sectional imaging, but also for the discussion about whether adjuvant therapy is appropriate. And regarding patient characteristics, I always start with the patient's individual risk based on the AJCC8 uh, staging criteria. I start by explaining to the patient what their individual risk of recurrence is and the patterns of recurrence. Because remember, in the stage 2B and 2C patients, um, half of the recurrences are going to be local or regional that may be amenable to curative intense surgery, whereas uh, a decent percentage will be metastatic at the time of recurrence. So I talk to them about the patterns and rate of recurrence that's very individualized to their own um, melanoma. And I also talk to them in stage three that I'll be testing for BRAP mutation uh, status so that we'll have the full amount of information available in order to make a decision about adjuvant therapy options if that's the path we're taking, um, as well as uh, observation alone, which is appropriate for many patients based on their risk tolerance. No, that's great. I think, um, you know, you provide a very broad overview about that. So um, talk to us a little bit more specifically about BRAF mutational status in stage three. Do you, um, you know, we now have three approved options for these patients for who are BRAF mutant, B600E or K. We could consider a year of dibrafenib plus trametinib. We could consider a year of pemrolizumab or a year of nivolumab. How do you make those decisions? That's a great question, and I think one that's a complex conversation with patients that all the medical oncologists have to have. Um, I, th I think that we have, like you said, great data and long follow-up now around five years for all three agents, and I think the uh, efficacy data are the same. In all cases, there is a significant, statistically significant, and I think clinically meaningful reduction in recurrence, yet there's no long-term confirmation of survival benefit with any of these agents in the 
era of current highly effective therapies for stage four, meaning, you know, I'm very clear with patients that um, it, there has not been long-term data suggesting that treating earlier adjuvant is superior to observation and then treatment at the time of stage four disease, given the high rate of disease control in stage four and including long-term durable complete responses and potentially cures in stage four. And so taking into consideration that the efficacy is similar with all three agents, I think that it comes down to toxicity and patient preference. So in a patient who has, you know, BRAF mutation, I talked to them about the pretty much predictable and reversible side effects that we um, observe with BRAF and MEK inhibition, and that those can quickly reverse with stopping, holding, or reducing therapy. Whereas with um, immunotherapy, there's that potential for long-term or permanent toxicity, um, debilitating or even life-threatening toxicity, very rare, but a possible you know, risk that patients have to be comfortable with. And in those with no um, BRAF mutation, I think it's um, when it's the only option, they really have to weigh their personal risk of recurrence with their risk tolerance for that less than 1% chance of severe or life-threatening toxicity or that 15% chance of more severe or lingering toxicity. And so I think that that's how I frame it in terms of toxicity. I don't think that we can really extrapolate data from stage four to stage three, where we know that immunotherapy first line is preferable whenever possible in stage four disease. It may not be the case in stage three. We don't really have confirmatory data about the superiority of one therapy over the other for adjuvant therapy in stage three. No, I agree completely. I sort of use some very similar um, talking points, as you highlighted, you know, what is, what are the patient's preferences? What, what are the comorbidities do they have? You know, if they, obviously they have some underlying autoimmune disorder, we'd shy away from utilizing an immune checkpoint inhibitor if they have the ability to receive a targeted combination of agents for the BRAF mutant patients. Um, you know, my bias has tended to be for those patients to utilize combination targeted therapy, specifically for the reasons you mentioned, that these are, the risk reduction is very similar, you know, at the risk of obviously cross comparison between different studies, these trials that led to the approval of these agents with the exception of Checkmate 238 that compared nivolumab to um, uh, ipilimumab for patients with uh, stage 3B, 3C resected disease or stage 4 resected disease. The other trials included stage 3A patients as well, as long as there was at least a millimeter metastatic deposit within the lymph node that was retrieved. And I think we're also at that cusp with some of the older trials mandated the use of or the, the need for a completion lymph node dissection, whereas pretty much all of the modern generation contemporary trials for adjuvant therapy have stopped at the central lymph node positive without requiring uh, further uh, treatment. So I think that is impacting these patterns of relapse, as you clearly pointed out, and we are seeing more local regional relapses as well. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that, you know, even in stage 2C, about 50% of patients have distant relapses. So really putting all of those into perspective for our patients, you know, the age of the patient, comorbidities, molecular status, um, you know, what, what does the patient perceive his or her risk to be and what would they like to see as time goes by? I think that really makes for a much longer conversation of shared informed decision-making so that we can you know, do this together with the patient. I think giving them all of those options becomes really, really important. 
One last question before we wrap up this segment. What about resected stage four disease? Are you preferentially utilizing combination immunotherapy based on the immunet trial, or are you still sticking with single agent therapy? I'm actually using single agent therapy in those patients because those patients were included in some of the adjuvant immunotherapy trials for PD-1 blockade in the adjuvant. And so I think it's reasonable in a patient who has a very high risk of recurrence to consider adjuvant therapy with single or dual, um, given that there are patients with truly oligometastatic biology where there may not be a guarantee of a progression or a rapid progression. I think either option is very reasonable to discuss with patients. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is jointly provided by Global Learning Collaborative, GLC, and Total CME Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com CME. Thank you for listening.